0: All right, everybody's got their coffee, you got something to eat, you're good to go, right? Um, We are kicking off a brand new series called Signs of Life. When I was a teenager, which was not that long ago, yes it was, Um, I used to do something that won't make a lot of sense to you unless you grew up in church, and I know we live in a culture where that's increasingly less of the norm, right? Not everybody has grown up in church but back when I was attending church and not really living for Jesus, I don't know if you can relate to that or not, All right, Attending church and not, hopefully you can't, but attending church not really living for Jesus as a teenager, I used to do this really weird thing. I would go on these dates. Okay, that wasn't a weird thing. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, actually, somebody dated you. That's kind of weird. Um, I would go on these dates and I would come home from my dates and I would walk into the house and everybody was quiet and everybody was in bed, you know, and, um. I was, not the, I was kind of a, re, a rebel, so it was always after curfew. And um, I always felt terrible when I came home from dates because I had, I had done stuff on my dates that didn't make me feel Christian. And so what I would do every single... And I don't know none of you can relate to this. Just hang with me. Every single time I would come home from my dates and I would always tiptoe right up to the door of my youngest sister's room, Mary. And she was, you know... I don't know how old she would have been at that point. Four, five. She was young enough that in my churched mind, I knew that if I could hear her breathing, I had not missed the rapture. Right? Now, um Let's just make sure that we understand what that means, right? Now, if you didn't grow up in church and I say the word rapture, you're like, what in the heck is the rapture? The rapture is this um, belief in the church that there's a day that's going to come when Jesus is going to return and he's going to call the church out of the world. and, And if you miss it, it's not good. Right? It's not good to miss the rapture. You don't want to be left here after the rapture because then we face tribulation and it's full of all kinds of bad things. And I don't mean bad things like I got a hangnail. I mean bad things like they'll cut your head off. Bad things, right? And I watched enough scary movies in the church growing up to know that I did not want to miss the rapture. And so I would listen. And if I heard Mary breathing, I would go to my room and I would sleep a little bit better knowing that I was okay. Now, never mind the fact that I didn't think about what I would have done if I hadn't heard her breathing and she was not in the room and everybody in my family was gone. I never actually thought about that. I just kept thinking, like, as long as I can hear her breathe, because she was young enough that I was pretty sure Jesus would take her, because at that age, surely she couldn't have done anything bad. Now, if you're a parent of a child that's four or five, you're like, oh, not so fast, (laughs) Paul. They're like little bitty demon people, right? But I was just convinced of that. And so, I guess in a weird way, for me, my sister was a sign. So we're talking about this thing called signs of life. For, for me, just hearing her breathe was like, oh, okay, that's a sign. And I think, I think I'm okay. I think I've still got a, a chance to be right with Jesus. I think if we're honest... A lot of times we struggle with doubt. Am I saved? I think I'm saved. Is God near me? Does he hear me when I pray? I think he does. I'm not so sure. I was in my devotions just a couple weeks ago and I ran across 1 John 3.14. We're going to have that up on the screen for you. 1 John 3.14 in the New Living Translation, here's what it says. If we love our Christian brothers and sisters, it proves that we have passed from death to life, but a person who has no love is still dead. What jumped out at me there was it proves that we have life. There was a movie a while back called Proof of Life. Um, if you're familiar with any kind of POWs or like, you know, when somebody gets kidnapped and they put them on, the, they're like, hey, give me proof of life. Put them on the phone. They want to hear their voice. They want to know that they're alive. And, and so what, what John's saying is that there's, there's proof that we have life. And so when I read that, I started thinking about signs and, and signs of life. What What is that verse really saying? Let's just break that down. Three things. One, the word for know. That word for know. We know that we have passed from death to life. We know. It's a word about facts. It's a definite something. The phrase passed from death to life is talking about salvation, which means we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have been saved. And then the word, it, it is possible to know. Be, and it because, that word because introduces the way, one of the ways that we can know. And one of the ways that we can know is because we love our brothers and our sisters. If we love our brothers and sisters, it proves that we have passed from death to life. And so as I studied that and that verse, I saw all these proofs, these signs of life. And so this series is all about these signs of life. And before we start talking about the one today, let's just answer a couple of questions. Here's the first one. What do we mean by signs? Do we mean Mel Gibson's movie? And it's a good movie too, by the way. If you haven't seen that movie, it's a great movie. What do we mean by signs? Well, here's what we don't mean. I don't mean a checklist of things to do in order to prove that I'm a Christian. You don't have to do anything to be saved. Being a Christian isn't about doing anything to be a believer. It's about accepting what Jesus has already done. We put all of our trust in all that Jesus has already done. That's all you have to do to be a Christian. So signs of life. Signs of life is is evidence. It's proof that we are alive. Think about this. How many of you this morning woke up and the first thing you thought was, breathe, breathe? Nobody, right? You didn't wake up this morning and and tell yourself, don't forget to breathe today. You just breathe. Because when you're alive, you breathe. You don't have to remind yourself. These are not checklists. These are not things that we have to do. These are going to be things that come out naturally. Um, The phrase that kept going through my mind as I was preparing for this was, we want the supernatural to become natural. These supernatural signs of life, we want them to just naturally flow from us. Because when you're alive, you breathe. And when you don't breathe, well, it's because you're not alive, right? Or you won't be for long. This verse, this series is so much more about just trying to do things. It's not about seven rules to prove to the world that I'm the best Christian ever. And the reason why this is so critical is because if we don't remind ourselves that these signs of life just naturally flow out of us, then it's easy to fall back into this legalistic mindset. And maybe some of you can't relate to that, but I can. I can relate to feeling like I have to do certain things in order to prove to somebody that I am Jesus' brother or I'm God's son. That's not what this is about. You don't have to prove that to anybody. These are just simply evidences that when somebody looks at your life, they would say, Now, Justin, he's a believer because I see these signs in his life. So that's what we mean by signs. Why do we need signs? Um, Here's a, a ton of reasons for instruction, for direction, for inspiration, for assurance. There's probably tons, tons of other reasons, but can we just boil it down to one simple reason? We need signs because we doubt, which doesn't sound very mature, right? I don't want I don't doubt. What I love about Jesus is, remember Thomas? Thomas um, doubted, right? So he's called Doubting Thomas, even though he gave his life for the gospel. All I remember him as is Doubting Thomas. Because he said after the resurrection, no, 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 no. If, unless I see him, unless I, I see and touch the scars, unless I put my hand in his side, I'm not believing anything. And what did Jesus do? He threw Thomas under the bus, right? No, I think what he did was he actually passed through walls and appeared before him and said, I heard what you said. So, go for it. Touch him. Hey, as a matter of fact, take your hand and just stick it all. Can you imagine that just for a moment? We say all the time, we read the weird right out of the Bible, don't we? Just pause on that for a moment. Jesus appears to you and says, hey, I got an idea. Let's play a game called thrust your hand inside my side. He's like, he said, thrust it in there. And Thomas said, okay, you win. I see, I'm good. What you need to see is that Jesus came to him in his doubt and he doubted until he saw the proof when he saw the signs of life and that's when he believed and Thomas believed fiercely. These signs that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, they're given to us so that we can believe fiercely. God understands our doubts. He meets us in them in order to allow, show us that he is greater than them. Let me say that again. God understands our doubts, and he meets us in them in order to show us that he is greater than them. Because ultimately, God gives us signs so that we can follow him. Now, a little dad story. 1 Kings chapter 18. I mean, moms and kids can enjoy this story too, but this is a, a man's story. 1 Kings 18, Elisha on, the mount, on mount Carmel. He's having a little showdown with 450 prophets of Baal. And he says in verse 24, it was a showdown to see which God would would give a sign. And the sign was given so that they would know which God to follow. Verses 26 to 29, we won't read all of these. It just goes into all the things that the prophets of Baal did to try to get their God to answer by fire, right? And so they're calling out to him, They're yelling and screaming. And if you're into sports, this is the first time that we see trash talking in the Bible. Elijah starts saying things like this. Scream louder. Maybe, maybe your God is taking a nap. Wait, maybe your God is going to the bathroom. I know you don't think that's in there, but it is. 1 Kings 18, 26 to 29, read it. They start cutting themselves. He's like, cut yourselves harder. Bleed more. You can do it. And he's just egging them on and egging them on. And their God never answered. And here's why their God never answered. Because there's only one God that can give signs of life. And it's our God, the living God. And Elijah, he believed it so much so that whenever they couldn't get their God to answer by fire... He said, my turn, and he got tons of water, poured water all over the altar, got everything soaking wet, and then just simply asked God to be the God that he knew he was, and God answered by fire. God is a God who gives signs. He's the only God who is able to answer with signs of life. So before we talk about the first sign, let me answer one more question, just this foundational question. Can we ask God for signs? I think we can. So let's just unpack a few verses, okay? There's going to be a lot here. I want you to make sure you write these down. Uh, Matthew 16, verses 1 through 4. Let me read it to you. It says, The Pharisees and Sadducees came up, and testing Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. But he replied to them, When it's evening, you say it'll be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm today for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky but cannot discern the signs of the times? And verse 4 is the one that I want to make sure we highlight. Jesus said this, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah, which was pointing to the cross. And he left them and went away. So a couple things I want to make sure we understand. Because I've I've heard people say, Christians can't ask for a sign. Well, here's who asks for signs, all right? An adulterous generation. That means people who were not committed. Um, We don't need to explain the term adultery too much. But if you're an adulterer, it's because you're not committed to the person you were married to. And so Jesus says, a generation who's not committed... We'll ask for a sign. So if we're asking for signs, it reveals something about us, right? Not about God. If I need signs beyond the death and resurrection of Jesus to convince me that Jesus is the Messiah, I'm not in the believing generation. I'm going to say that again. Now listen, I grew up church. I've told you guys this. I know not everybody in here has grown up in the church, but I did. I grew up hearing all these things and pretty sure I'm supposed to believe all these things, but still walking up to my sister's room and listening to see if she was breathing because I was pretty sure I wasn't living in a way that would take me out if the rapture came. So I understand being a Christian, looking the part, and still feeling like I need a sign from God to prove that Jesus is who he says he is. And what Jesus is saying here is, man, if I'm giving you one sign— One, it's the cross, and it's the resurrection. That's the sign. That's the only one you need. And if I know that and I'm still asking for more, it reveals about something about me. I've got to deal with my unbelieving heart. So God's okay giving signs to to unbelievers, but he gives them through believers. Here's the big idea. I want to make sure that you get this. I'll say it a few times to make sure it's clear. God gives signs to the world through the church. So, okay, I know. Stay with me. It's hot in here. Don't go to sleep. God, if we're believers and we're still asking for signs, we've missed it. Like, we've missed it. What else do we need, right? Now, we have a God that we we understand. He's gracious, and and he'll give us. He's going to give us what, what he thinks we need, but he's given us Jesus at the cross and through the resurrection, an empty tomb. What else could we need? And so, what he wants to do is he wants to give signs to the unbelieving world through the believing church. Yeah, okay. I got work to do, I can tell. So, here we go. What's the first sign? These signs of life, there's going to be like seven or eight or nine of them as we go through the summer. But what's the first sign? The first sign that God shows the world is agape love. It's his kind of love. Now, we read about this already in 1 John 3.14. He said this. He said, if we love our Christian brothers and sisters, and that word for love is agape. Now, there's, a, there's a, more than one or two. I think there's actually four. We're talking about three the most words for, um, for love in Greeks. Like, you know, we don't have different words for love in America, right, and in English, I'll say to Wendy, like, I love you. And what I mean is, <laughs> I love you. But I also love French fries. And I love cookie dough ice cream. Come on. Somebody say amen. And I, I love magic shell on top of cookie dough ice cream. And then if I can get all that in a blender and make it into a milkshake and get it at Sonic, come on. But I love Wendy. And so because we just have one word to describe all that, I mean, I'm not giving my life for cookie dough. No, I'm not giving my life for cookie dough ice cream, but I would lay my life down for Wendy, right? And all of that is try, we try to just explain all that with one word, love. Now, in the Greek, they had like agape, which is God's kind of love. They had phileo, which sounds like a fish, but it's really just how we like friendship love. And then they had eros, which do we need to talk about that? No, but I love Wendy, right? Okay, so, like, that's that romantic love. So agape love is God's kind of love. And so what he says right here in 1 John three fourteen, the verse that we read, the kind of the verse that got me thinking about this entire series was, if we agape our Christian brothers and sisters, that's what proves to the world. That's the sign of life. A sign of life is this agape love that we have horizontally with each other and vertically with, with, with God so I'm going to give you one, two, three, four, five, six, like seven verses that just describe this agape love, okay? And, and you just write them down. I think they're up on the screen. So you can just kind of see this is the love that when this love is in us, this is a sign of life, right? And here's a couple of them. First John 3.1 says this. See what great love, that's agape, the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. So this agape love, man, I I know some of y'all, you're good people. But there's no way that you can agape love somebody else apart from what 1 John 3 says. See what great love the Father has given to us. He gives it to us. It's from him. If I have agape love, it's because he's given it to me. John 17, 26, Jesus is praying, one of his final prayers before he goes to the Father, and he says this, I have made you known to them, them being his disciples and also all of us, and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me, agape love, may be in them and that I myself may be in them. First Thessalonians 4.9. Now about your love for one another, that's agape, we don't need to write to you. Like, Just hear what Paul's saying. I don't need to write to you about agape love. I mean, he did write a lot about agape. I don't need to write you about agape love, and here's why. For you yourselves have been taught by God to agape each other. Agape love is something that God gives to us, and he teaches how to use it. Galatians 5.14. Anybody in here like to take tests? Any students here, you're just like, I love tests. I can't get enough of them. And, like, when uh, I know Parker and we were going to go to college, remember going to college and sitting in the first day of class and they, like, gave you the syllabus? (laughs) That was back when they printed stuff out. Now it's all, you know, electronic. And you would get your syllabus. We used to call it syllabus shock, right? You would get your syllabus and you would read it on the first day and realize that you were already a week behind. All the reading that you have to do, like, so much, so much reading. Pray for our kids going to college, Right? Imagine if all of that reading could have been summed up in one very simple way. I think they called them cliff notes, right? And now they're called spark notes. Am I getting that right? I think I am. And our teachers used to hate them. Don't no, no, don't don't read the cliff notes. No, no, no. Read all of it, right? Now, I say all that because Galatians 5.14 says, For the entire, everybody say entire, law is fulfilled in keeping one command, love your neighbor as yourself. That's agape. Agape love is so powerful that it can take all the law, which was the first five books. If you're um, if you're in next gen, your one of the summer studies you're doing is um, unlocking the Pentateuch, which sounds awesome. Pentateuch is Torah. It's the first five books of the Bible, and it contains hundreds of commands and laws. And Paul said agape love is so powerful that it actually fulfills. All of that. Like cliff notes for people that don't want to read all those things, right? And just agape love one another. Ephesians 5, two. Agape love can guide us. Paul said this, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, agape, just as Christ loved us, agape, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Walk in the way of agape. It's, it directs us. It guides us. And then the last two, the most important ones, John 13, 35. By this, Jesus said, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So if we have agape love for one another, right, if we're like laying our lives down, and and what does agape love even look like? It looks like the way God has loved us. And here's what God did not say. Um, You're jacked up. And I'm willing to come down and save you, but first I need you to do these six things, and then I'll come. No, no conditions, right? He just came. He didn't require anything of us. He just came. That's what agape love looks like. It's selfless. It's generous. And when we have that kind of love for each other, what happens is the world takes notice and says, oh, you're my disciple. I've mentioned this a, a time or two before, but Wendy used to have a co-worker, and he was just like, I don't get Christians. I just don't get it. Like, you're no different than me, but I have 10% more money than you. I don't get it. Why would I want to be a Christian? Why would I want to go to church, give 10% of my money to them, and my life be no different than what I see your life being? That's a fair statement. If we don't look any different than the world, it's a fair statement. But here's what gets the world's attention. When people sit in the room together that don't actually, would not ever actually like one another, and yet they begin to love one another. When people who, who would have killed each other in the world suddenly in the body of Christ love one another, would lay their lives down, that's what gets the world's attention. I mean, you watch the news, right? Right? Our world can't get along. And when they see unity in the church, that's what gets their attention because that's one thing they cannot do outside of the church. Like, How do you love one another like that? And our answer would be it's agape love that God's given to us for one another. 1 John 4. Um, I'm going to read you 1 John 4, 7, but it's like 7, 11, 12, 19. There's tons of them in 1 John 4. It just basically says this, we can't agape without first receiving agape from God. Here's what 1 John 4, 7 says. Dear friends, let us love one another, agape, for love, agape, comes from God. Everyone who agapes has been born of God and knows God. Here's what we've got to get. The greatest sign of new life in Christ is the agape love of Christ. Signs of life. Agape love is the, is the first, probably the greatest sign of life. People look at us and say, how do you love like that? It's a sign that we've been passed from death to life. We literally do not have that kind of love in us without God putting it there first. So when we love like the Father, we are the sign of life that the world is looking for. His love in us and through us becomes a sign of life to us as well. Like there are, listen, there are plenty of days when I would love to just tell my former self, like, don't don't go out and just like live crazy and then come home and listen for your sister to breathe. Like there's a better way to follow Jesus than that. I can say this not out of pride, but just it's a fact. I do not ever, ever wonder where I will spend eternity, ever, ever, ever. Not because I'm the best person alive, right? It's true. She's like, okay, it's true. No, it's, she was like, yeah. But because I have no doubt that his agape love is working in my life. No doubt. That I feel for people that I would never have loved before. I feel a love that I I could never have gotten on my own. It's a sign of life to me. But because I'm convinced of that, I don't have to keep asking, hey, show me that sign again. Show me that sign. I want it to be a sign of God through me. I want it to be a sign of life through me to others who need that same thing. It's, to me, it's, it's appropriate that we're talking about this on Father's Day because um, I'm a dad, right? And I think sometimes I'm, I'm a bad dad. I probably could be a lot better. I almost went with this as a, um, as a big idea, but then I thought you would laugh at me, so I didn't. But I'm going to say it anyway. Sloppy agape. It's a terrible copy of the original father's love. Isn't that fun? It made me hungry too, because it makes me think about sloppy Joes. Sloppy agape is a terrible copy of the original father's love. I know how to love as a father because I've been loved by a father. And that's what this agape love is all about is something happens when the Father's love penetrates my heart. It changes the way that I now love. And that's the greatest sign of life. Now, I want to wrap this up just showing you a quick video that's about fathers. And then um, when it's done, we'll, we'll pray. Okay? So uh, here we are. Just watch the screen. Check this out. So... Let's, let's do this. Close your eyes and, and, and let's think through some things. Churched people. I, I would say that nothing has made me have a greater understanding of the Father's heart than being a father. Father. And as we talk about signs of life, I want to give the freedom for you to kind of examine your life and say, Ugh, I don't see that sign. I almost started the series with a clip from the Hunger Games, um, but then I didn't know if you would like it, so I didn't. Um, but in one of the in one of the movies, Peter walks into a force field and gets thrown back like a hundred million feet or whatever, and he's on the ground. And he's dead, apparently. And everybody's freaking out. And they're yelling the same thing. Breathe, breathe, breathe. What are they asking? They're looking for signs of life. And, and you could be in this series at some point examining yourself and saying, I don't see signs of life. And if that is true, then you need to see the cross. You need to see the resurrection. You need to see that sign again and know that you are believing in who Jesus is and what he's already done. He's given you a sign, and that's it. Because we'll never adequately show the world Jesus if we're still asking him for signs about who he is. And when I held Parker first and then 22 minutes later, well, I didn't hold him because I had to wait a couple days because they were so small, but when we got to, when they were born, I suddenly realized that they didn't have to do anything for me to love them. I mean, all they were going to do for the next foreseeable future was poop their diapers and ask me to change them. They could give me nothing, and I wanted to give them everything. The Bible says if you, being evil, can give your children good things, how much more your heavenly father. And it is being a father that has helped me understand this unconditional love that God has for us. And that agape love, man, it's so precious, it's so good, it's so pure that when he puts it in us, the worst thing we can do is get sloppy with it and misrepresent what it really is about. And So this morning, I want to just invite you as a church to recommit yourself, not to trying harder, but to saying, God, that agape love you've given to me, man, I want to I be a vessel that it just flows out of. When somebody cuts me off in traffic, I want that to flow out of me than what sometimes also flows out of me, right? Especially when I realize they have a gathering sticker on their car. <laughs> we want to be vessels of agape love. And First John 3.14 is clear that when we are loving one another that way, that is the proof that we have life. That is the first sign of life. And so this morning, I, I feel like I've rambled and done a horrible job, but if the Holy Spirit has taken what I've said and has just convicted you, pricked your heart in any way, shape, or form, and we want to pray for you, will you just raise your hand and say, that's me. I just want to respond. Will you pray for me this morning? I need to see more Agape love in my life. I want to be a sign to the world of what Jesus is doing in me already. If that's you, just raise your hand and say, that's me, and then we're going to pray, and, and thank you so much. Anybody else, thank you. Father, I just thank you for these hands, God. I pray that this morning as we as we head out, to, you know, many of us go get out and get with families and celebrate dads and, and all that, God. I pray that we would not forget this, that we only love one another because you first loved us. The, the best we could do is kind of this buddy-pal thing. But you, you introduced agape love to us, and we receive it from you, and we want to also then just, God, Share it with one another. I pray that, that the unity and the love at the gathering would be so strong it would attract the attention of this city. That they would, they would ask us, how can you get along like that? And we would simply say it's because of the love of God in us and through us. We were dead, now we're alive, and this is how, this is how people that are brought back to life live They live loving one another with the love that God gives. And I pray that for every one of us in this room that raised our hands and that it would mark us, God, and that every day we wake up, we would not have to think about loving one another, but it would become as natural to us as breath. And it would be a sign of life to the world through our church. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.